Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I just realized that your background is red and mine is green. So it may be January, but we're still living in Christmas, baby. And mine's just like this burnt orange color from this goddamn best, best Western that I'm in. <laughs> I, I'm Every single day I have gone to the front desk on my way out to work and be like, hey, can I like add more one more day to my reservation? I got here in Florida on Tuesday uh, and uh, I've been, been looking around and trying to figure out where to live, but it's been a longer process than I thought it was going to be, but I'm on the hunt. Let's go. Well, anyways, uh, we interviewed Brandon Curtis, the CEO of Radar. Uh, at Radar Tech online, uh, and they are one of the very few companies that really toes the line between Bitcoin and Ethereum in a very serious way. Um, they have one of the largest kind of pro trading interface uh, DEXs on Ethereum, and then on the flip side, they are doing a ton of R&D and building a ton of cool tools on the Bitcoin Lightning Network, including Redshift, which is kind of like a payments layer. Um, so this was super interesting. Alan had a ton of different and nuanced points about both Bitcoin and Ethereum and the space in general. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. And on the Ethereum side of things, uh, Radar was one of the earliest builders on top of the Zero X protocol. Zero X protocol was one of the sweethearts of 2017, 2018. And it's one of those companies, one of those projects that depends on companies building on top of them. Uh, and Radar was one of the first companies to do so. Uh, the real intersection comes between the bridge that they have built between the radar decentralized exchange on Ethereum and the uh, Bitcoin payment mechanism that they've built with uh, Redshift and an ION with their their Lightning suite. So they have really have a suite of products. It's very uh, they all kind of interoperate and talk with each other, and and Alan kind of walks us through each one. Um, but before we get into the episode, let's talk about our sponsors. Christian, I'm going to hand it off to you to talk about our, our long-term sponsor, eToro. Yeah, you guys, eToro, one of the best centralized exchanges out there. They have been serving the crypto community in a lot of different ways, starting in 2015 when they became one of the first like traditional financial companies to integrate Bitcoin and crypto trading into their solution. And then now in 2019, they came into the United States and brought a lot of their very cool social trader features into the US market. Um, what eToro does that the other guys don't do is they have a complete kind of troll box and social trading aspect, social media aspect to their trading where you can talk smack, learn from the best, all that good stuff. You can actually practice with a uh, fake and virtual uh, $100,000 um, wallet or, or budget just to test out your trading. And then lastly, you can automate all of your favorite trading on their social trading um, platform where you can just follow traders that are in the platform. So a lot of professional traders in there, eToro does a good job of bringing the best onto their platform and you can follow their strategies with one click of the mouse. So if you don't have time to uh, you know, spend all day day trading, but you want to have a little bit of exposure to uh, some of the best traders and some of the best active strategies out there, eToro is a great way to do that b.tc backslash eToro POV to get there using our code so they know that we sent you there. Again, b.tc backslash eToro POV. You guys, that is eToro. 
And on to our next sponsor, QuantStamp. QuantStamp is one of the most important companies in the DeFi space. They are the premier security, uh, security company for smart contracts on Ethereum. If you are building any sort of brand new smart contract, you need to get it audited. You need to make sure that your users' funds are safe. And that's exactly what QuantStamp does. Uh, QuantStamp has been around since the very beginning. They have some of the, they probably have the biggest resume of clients in the crypto space, MakerDAO, uh, eToro, another sponsor of POV, as well as some brand new projects, including Ardai, uh, Pool Together, uh, Sablier. Uh, so they've, they've been around from the beginning. They're still around today. Uh, and this is really, really important when it comes to smart contract security. Uh, in, in five years, when the entire financial ecosystem is built exclusively on Ethereum, it's going to be because of QuantStamp that that works at all. Uh, and uh, these things really take a lot of experience. And you can't just, it's not just a theoretical thing, it's a hands-on thing. Uh, and they've been having their hands-on since day one. And so if you are building a dApp on Ethereum, if you are working with uh, Solidity and building uh, contracts, uh, and you have your customers' funds in your control. It's your responsibility to make sure that that is audited and safe, and that's what QuantStamp can do for you. Uh, and so if you want to check out their suite of services, you can go to expertaudits.com. Uh, check out their huge list of, of customers. It's, it's the most extensive in crypto, to my knowledge, uh, and you can just see what, what they do there. Um, so check them out. Thank you, QuantStamp, for sponsoring POV. Wow. Praises to QuantStamp. And on to my personal favorite smart contract platform and smart contract company, Unchained Capital. I can't wait for that joke to get old and for all the ETH heads to just flame me on it. But until then, I'm going to keep saying it. Unchained it. Capital is one of the most important and one of the most significant smart contract platforms and companies in the Bitcoin space. And what they are building is a ton of different fantastic financial tools on top of Bitcoin multi-signature. The first tool is their Vault product. Uh, this is a really easy way for you to utilize a two of three multi-sig. Uh, you just set, set up your ledger or your Trezor um, on their site. And then from there, uh, you have two keys. They have the third key and you can format it. So either you can sign both keys and remove your funds but on, your, on your own, or you can take advantage of their collaborative custody features where they can countersign and they can layer on banking services to your multi-sig. Personally, I think it is a fantastic option for diversification of how you hold your Bitcoin. Um, but ultimately, it is an option for some people out there that um, you know really need that help or really want that kind of next level, more traditional financial experience. Uh, their second product that they are building out is a BTC loan product. And unlike other BTC loan products, they never rehypothecate and they always use the same multi-sig infrastructure as their vault. So they, they hold all the funds on chain. They hold a key, you hold a key, and then a third party arbiter holds the key. Um, so once again, leveraging out these loans in a way that you know is healthy for Bitcoin. Uh, there are very few companies that have committed so much open source infrastructure um, and just free development for useful and practical applications of Bitcoin multi-sig as Unchained Capital. Definitely a friend of the show, definitely a friend of Bitcoin. And we are excited to have more of their folks uh, on the podcast to talk about you know, their takes on this space in general. 
So make sure to check out Unchained Capital at Unchained Capital dash or Unchained dash Capital dot com and uh, email them at hello at Unchained dash Capital dot com. All right, guys, let's get right into this interview. Uh, Alan Curtis from Radar Relay, one of the few people with experiences building on Ethereum and Bitcoin in tandem. Let's get into it. We are here with Alan Curtis, the CEO and co-founder of Radar, one of the coolest and most unique companies in the space one of the companies that really truly toes the line between Bitcoin and Ethereum. So super excited to have him on the Bitcoin versus Ethereum podcast. Uh, Alan, welcome to POV Crypto. Yeah, thanks guys. Excited to be here. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, man. So uh, I guess why don't you give the viewers just a quick breakdown on yourself and then we can jump into what Radar is doing in the Bitcoin and Ethereum space. Sure. Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, a good spot to start is is to start with our our vision. Actually, um, I, I often listen to podcasts or videos, and I, and I hear you know the founders telling their story, which, which is certainly important and, and happy to share. But um, I think what's even more meaningful is is the why, right? Why, why are we doing this? Um, and at, at Radar, we, we think about our mission, our vision, about building products for our next financial system. The building products part, that's, that's really straightforward. We're going to get into those products. We, we've built a few to date. Um, the Our financial system, part, I, I think that's where, where people get hung up. They don't understand what, what, what we're doing. And when we say our, we don't mean the individualistic radar that's our financial system. We mean the collective one, the one for all of us. And when we talk about our next financial system, um, we, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like and feel like and taste like, and, um, but we do know a few things. Number one, going to be more fair. Number two, uh, it's going to be more transparent. And number three, it's going to be a hell of a lot more inclusive. And that that uh, that next financial system, that's, a, that's what gets our team excited. Um, that's what that got me for my graduate studies around um, economic, secure, uh, economic insecurity, financial inclusivity, to, to, to find some co-founders and, and start a company solving these hard problems. And we feel that blockchain is very much uh, a tool uh, a tool that can help reshape some of our institutions and, and usher in uh, this next financial system. Um, so I'm going to pause there because I want to understand. I want to uh, get feedback or questions on on the vision, and then happy to dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah, I think my my first question would be how has because okay, so it seems like that radar has a very clear set of principles or or guiding principles or some sort of of moral or ethical path that you guys want to follow as you achieve. Uh, the vision that we are yet to discuss. So how has that, those principles or those, uh, those concepts or ideas influenced your product? Um, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe yeah, that's actually a little yeah. bit too soon of a question because I think we need to kind of go into what that product actually is. So maybe, maybe you can start with yeah. what that product is and then how does that achieve those principles that you just laid out for us? Totally. Yeah, so I think we always start with the mission and the vision, where the heck are we going? What does it look like in 10 years? What does it look like if we're successful? Then the next question is, is how do we get there? What, what the heck are we actually doing? What are the levers that we have to pull? And, and for us, those are products. And like I mentioned, we've built a few of those. So back in uh, late 2017, we built Relay. Uh, Relay, I think was the second or third ever peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer exchange built on Ethereum. And we built that on top of the ZeroX protocol. Uh, we launched that in, in August, October of 2017. We've been really fortunate to, 
to, to grow that to users in over 150 countries and traded $300 million in volume. It's been uh, an incredible experience that allowed us to build this global brand, um, to, to move orders across borders, to, uh, to, to identify this, this customer base um, and build a, a tight relationship with them, a deep relationship with them. That led to product number two. Uh, product number two uh, is called Redshift. And we stayed true to our peer-to-peer -peer roots, but in this case, it's peer-to-peer -peer payments. And instead of the Ethereum blockchain, we use the Bitcoin blockchain and specifically um, the Lightning Network. Now, what we realized while building out Redshift, this product, was that we, the, the community, right, the users that we had gotten to know in the Ethereum community, didn't really know much about Bitcoin or Lightning. Certainly didn't know how to get a Lightning wallet, how to Bitcoin wallet, how to, how to get up to speed. And so we took a little bit of a detour, sort of a quick left uh, early in 2019. And, and we built out ION. ION is the homepage uh, of the Lightning Network. All things, content, guides, wikis, tutorials, newsletters, events, uh, you name it. If it was educational content, we probably created it. And we spent a lot of 2019 uh, building out those, those primitives, those building blocks for people to understand uh, and use the Lightning Network. And then we just launched Redshift, um, uh, the peer-to-peer -peer payments product here uh, in uh, late November. And then I, I'm almost done. Our, our third act, uh, our third product um, that, that we built uh, also came from our users, came from the community, came from this, this customer intimacy that we like to practice. Uh, that's around infrastructure. So over the last two and a half years of building products on Ethereum and Bitcoin, we've had software engineers all over the world reach out and ask for our help with infrastructure. How do we run a Gather parity node? What are we doing with Explora, this indexing problem on Bitcoin? Um, and every time we would, my CTO or my VP of engineering or I would hop on a call, we'd answer some of these questions. And, and we never really thought, hey, there's an opportunity here to, to productize this, to commercialize this. We always thought we were just giving back, right? We were building these financial applications and we were, we were giving back and answering questions. Um, and as those questions started to pile up, we realized uh, we ought to productize our infrastructure. And so we did just that. We bundled up all of our Ethereum and all of our Bitcoin infrastructure, uh, put a nice uh, interface on, on top of those. And we just launched Deploy, D-E-P-L-O-I, uh, to a few friends and family in, in December, and we're getting ready for a, a noisy launch here in February. So if you think about Radar, right? Goal, build products for our next financial system. How are we doing that? Peer-to-peer -peer exchange, peer-to-peer -peer payments, and the infrastructure and the platform necessary for other people to build similar applications. Uh, so it's a long-winded answer, um, but I hope that killed a few birds uh, with, with a stone there uh, explaining our products. Yeah, so, so just to recap, so to my, from what I'm exposed to, Radar is an exchange, and it's like kind of the next generation exchange on Ethereum, non-custodial, decentralized exchange using the Xerox protocol. Uh, this new payments uh, product is new to me. It's not something I've been following. So that's, that's very cool. And so, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but like you guys are both uh, working towards revamping Venmo for this new peer-to-peer -peer world, Ven, you know, Venmo, the meme Venmo. Uh, and then are you also uh, allowing for the infrastructure for peer-to-peer -peer asset exchange where, when and where that is possible. Um, does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the, the even maybe the deeper, the deeper question, um, you know, if I read between the lines of your question is um, it's like well, radar's doing a lot of things. Why are you doing a lot of things? Shouldn't you just pick one thing? And you know, when you, when yeah. you, when you grab a, a you grab a, a business book off the shelf or you talk to a, a startup, a serial entrepreneur, they all say, hey, do one thing, do it really well. 
um, you know, don't lose focus, product market fit, uh, find, find it and hold on to it. And, and, and we've taken a very different approach. We've actually gone in a few different directions at once. And, and I want to address that because it comes up in, in virtually all conversations with potential engineers we want to hire or investors or partners. Um, and and I, number one, I think when you're building a business on the frontier, some of the rules get a little bit blurry and some of those best practices from business books may, may or may not apply. Uh, so when you're building a business on the frontier, I think there's three ways to do that. The first way is you go all the way out west. Um, you're, you're a pioneer, right? You're a settler. You go all the way out west and, and you set up shop. Maybe you built a general store or a saloon. You, you hung a shingle and you hope people would show up. Uh, we did that. We did that with Relay. We are really fortunate that people did show up. But the reality is most of the time when you do that, there's not a lot of foot traffic out there. It's only other crazy, uh, crazy cowboys in, in the wild west. And we did that with Redshift as well, this, this peer-to-peer uh, payments application. Now, the second way to build a business uh, is to handle the infrastructure, uh, the rail, railroad tracks, the, the picks, the shovels, the wagons, the wagon wheels, right? Everything that you need to go out west and to explore those destinations. And we're doing that with Deploy, right? It's this infrastructure um, to, to help people spin up and manage their Ethereum or Bitcoin nodes. Uh, and the third way to build a business on the frontier is to sell maps. If you don't sell maps, people don't know where to go, right? Do you cross the Mississippi where it's really wide or really narrow? And, and how do you know where to go? And that's what we're doing with ION, right? ION is a map. It explains this wild and beautiful uh, frontier and this new technology, why you should get out west. And here's the thing, guys. This frontier is, is really rapidly developing. It's not clear where the roulette wheel, uh, when it will stop and where the ball will stop. And so uh, we're building in a few of these different places. My goal isn't for radar to continue to be stretched through and across multiple products, but until we find something that's hitting the escape velocity and, and is really growing and you can build an enduring business around, you can expect that we'll be the first to build destinations, infrastructure, and, and sell those maps. So it sounds like radar and your guys' suite of products spans the full stack of tech. So you guys have a lot of infrastructure that people don't need to see, don't need to interact with. And then it also sounds like you guys are building products that are customer facing and are, uh, are supposed to have like good UI UX. Can you kind of illustrate that, that kind of full stack for us and, and how much of, yeah. of radar is behind the scenes and how much is customer facing? Yeah, a lot. A lot is behind the scenes. I think um, uh, in the beginning, uh, that, that was partially by design, but now with all the infrastructure uh, we, we've built out that that's definitely the case. So if you are a uh, retail user, you're new to crypto, maybe you just went to Coinbase and you open an account and, and you've got, got some ETH and MetaMask or some Bitcoin in, in your wallet, um, you can show up uh, to, to Relay, right? If, and, and you can trade. You can trade peer-to-peer. -peer. Uh, we have uh, dozens of different ERC-20 tokens to access. Uh, we have, uh, for some people, a complex user interface. It's more for the prosumer type. What you'll see um, throughout 2020 is us continuing to drive simplicity, better UI, better UX there. So that, that's one place you can go. Uh, if you're a little bit uh, more adventurous and, and you're interested um, in the payment side of the business, right? Maybe you're looking to pay a merchant. Um, uh, you can go to Redshift and you can use that UI UX. Now, if you are a merchant or you're an application, um, you can also integrate with Relay or with Redshift from a liquidity perspective, right? If you want to um, accept uh, accept payment in any asset, well, Redshift is the product for you. Um, if you want to pipe in Ethereum or DAI liquidity into your, uh, your application, then Relay is the product for you. If you are a developer, 
uh, you're someone who's trying to build an application um, and you need help spinning up managing node infrastructure on Ethereum or Bitcoin, um, then come on down to deploy and we've got your needs met there. So if you want to think about it from a, a simple to complex, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, we're most well known for Relay from a trading perspective. Um, and then as we branch out into payments, Redshift, and then finally a little more technical for, for the engineers and DevOps engineers among us, uh, de deploy is the, uh, meets the jobs to be done there. So Alan, I kind of want to talk a little bit more high level. Uh, I think it, you know, we could do a deep dive on uh, all three or all four of your products and kind of, you know, go that way. But I kind of want to get like more from a philosophical perspective, like how does your team view Bitcoin and Ethereum? Because most other teams in the space, like they kind <laughs> of commit to one or the other. And I find it extremely interesting that um, you not only are building on both, but you're finding ways to make them interoperate. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, like high level, yeah. you know, how do you feel about, or how do you see both these infrastructures and how do you see them working together moving into the future? Yeah, great question. And it's actually the, the, one of the reasons I was really excited to be on the show is because you guys really embody this, uh, this, this partition or this dichotomy and of religiosity, but between the, uh, between the community. So, um, for, first of all, um, I'll, I'll say some maybe inflammatory comments, maybe it'll drive up the trolls in the comments and the questions, but let's go. Um, when I approached this, yeah, when I approached this, this space years ago, um, I didn't approach it from a technology perspective. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a cryptographer. I'm not a, uh, uh, a libertarian. I'm not a, uh, a gold fanatic. I actually approached it from, um, uh, uh, more of a public health perspective More of a, what can this do to improve health outcomes? What can this do to improve the financial system? What can this do to improve? I was coming at it from a jobs to be done perspective, not from a technical transactions per, per second scalability cryptography problem. And that, and that really changed the way that I view the space. So, so when I think about blockchain, I, I, I think about them as, as databases. And that is not pejorative or condescending. Um, databases are important. Databases are cool. Databases are useful. Um, and, I, and I think if it, you've got to understand where databases have been be able to understand where they're going. Um, and so if you look at the, the history of, of databases and you think about it, right, we had, uh, we had punch cards uh, in the 1890s census uh, and IBM created a monopoly there for, for quite a while. And then uh, we had hierarchical databases also with IBM, right? And then we move into relational databases and then uh, NoSQL uh, no and now NewSQL. And there's been this constant evolution in database performance. And it's always been about speed, uh, about maybe uh, uh, performance. Uh, and for the first time ever, for the first time ever, and this is, I think, a really uh, ignored value proposition of, of, of our technology, of, of, of this blockchain technology, for the first time, we have a new benchmark to measure database evolution, and that's around trust, specifically programmatic trust. And so when I, when I look at blockchain, I think, you know, what's better, Ethereum or Bitcoin, or um, is it Cosmos or Tezos or, or, or Polkadot or what have you? I first think about what is the job to be done and what database can solve that problem? And when I think about our mission around building the next financial system, our next financial system, I, I think about the jobs to be done. And I think programmatic trust is, is very important, but I don't know which database meets that criteria the best. And either does the market. And to date, there's been in the last decade, there's been like 23, 25 
billion dollars of capital from retail investors like us to uh, institutional investors that have poured into our space and maybe the most expensive ab test ever done uh, trying out which database meets the needs from a programmatic trust perspective to solve this problem of, build, of rebuilding uh, the financial system and it, the financial system needs a database migration but it's not clear which it will be and we do ourselves a disservice by maybe picking only one and not looking over the fence and wondering hey is that database more useful? So that was a, a long-winded and very philosophical answer to your question of, uh, you know, how, how does Radar think about it? And so we, we try to uh, be really agnostic and really open-minded and go and, and do an R&D and, and work on, on uh, any of the, the new databases that we can. So uh, it sounds like, um, sorry, what's the name of your guys' payment system, system again? Yeah, no worries. Redshift. Redshift, right. So it sounds like Redshift operates as maybe like a front-end or an infrastructure for Radar and allows payments for merchants in any token that is available on radar is that right yeah yeah i think i think directionally you nail that um and and redshift redshift is really a bet on interoperability right like i mentioned is it's not mm -hmm. clear when the roulette wheel is going to stop spinning is it eth is it eth v2 is it cosmos is it bitcoin is it light we're, we're not quite sure which technology is is going to win um in in the coming years and so we try to build products that are extensible horizontally, and Redshift is a great example of that. And so Redshift is built using uh, Lightning Network and the eight and HT hash time lock contracts around Lightning and allows this interoperability between uh, different chains by using these atomic swaps to, to move assets. It's very technical, but yes, that's correct. So um, so how do, if I, if you use Lightning, how do merchants that want to be paid in ETH does that does it just not use lightning? Does it use just Ethereum to do that? No, it, it does. Uh, great question. So, okay. so so if you're a merchant, um, so let's say for for you guys on the show, let's say you have your web page and and you want to be paid in Stellar, you want to be paid in ETH, or I guess Lumens. Uh, you Who wants to be ETH? paid in Stellar? <laughs> we would never want. <laughs> no one. I'm sorry. Let's no let's one. just be absolutely clear here. <laughs> you have two. You have three options, and that's it. Okay. What? What? The Bitcoin, ETH, and what? Die. Die. Okay. That's a, okay. Great. So let's say you want to be paid in die. Um, um, you'd go to Redshift. Wow, Christian, proud of you for I know you were including die. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. You'd you'd go to Redshift, um, and you you'd use our SDK and you'd integrate uh, with the SDK there. And we, we have a nice little widget that you can make available uh, on your site. Um, and for a user, they'd show up. They'd use MetaMask. It'd be no mm -hmm. different than if they went to uh, to to uh, adapt and. Um, uh, and then you can be paid in, in the asset of your choice, right? So you might say, hey, I want that in Bitcoin, not die. I'm a Bitcoin ah. maximalist, I don't want that at die. Mm. Um, and, uh, and we make those atomic swaps across those different chains. And so on Redshift today, um, we, we, today as of this minute, we have uh, only Bitcoin and ETH. However, uh, in the coming weeks, we're adding all of these uh, different ERC, uh, ERC20 assets, which is why I say any, any chain will be supported. Okay, so if I want to buy something and I have Ether and you want to receive DAI, I buy your product, MetaMask pops up, it's the normal transaction that I'm used to, I hit confirm, it makes an order for BTC on Radar, which then gets communicated to Redshift, the Lightning Payment Network, and then sent to the merchant. Super duper close. Um, you had all of it except for how the order is being fulfilled. So uh, it, okay. standing in the middle of that, um, we, we don't push everything to the, the Relay Exchange. We actually have a network of market makers that are involved in providing uh, quotes. So what you'd see, you, the, the step that was skipped in there, you'd, in that customer journey or in that customer flow, mm -hmm. is you'd see 
here's your price. Do you want to take that? You click yes, it gets done. And on the back end, it's, uh, the, as I mentioned, this, this network of market makers that are helping us um, uh, get those transactions done. Cool. Yeah, yeah, good question. So, um, you know, going back to this central question of Bitcoin and ETH, how do we toe the line? Uh, a follow-up a follow-up question that I often get about that is how do we do it internally? Because uh, not everybody shares my mentality around um, you know being open-minded, and there are some people in the company. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> there are some people in the company um, who who are certainly excited about one or the other, and and we try to take advantage of those natural inclinations and those focus areas. But it, it's part of the screening process here. You know, part part of working at Radar is being open-minded, being deeply critical thinking about um, databases, their value propositions, programmatic trust. And because we have an infrastructure platform, which offers Ethereum and uh, uh, Bitcoin infrastructure, and we'll be adding additional chains uh, as uh, throughout 2020, you have to be open-minded. You have to hop into the Stellar docs and figure it out. You have to hop into the Tezos docs and figure it out so we can help grow those ecosystems as well. And so for me, um, you know, we're, we're really focused on making the pie bigger as opposed to, um, you know, uh, fighting over, fighting, fighting over, over, over scraps with it. Would me and Christian pass that test or would we fail? That's a good question. Um, yeah. So I would, what, <laughs> so I would ask either of you, what's the, what's your favorite or most redeeming quality of, of the inverse of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum for both of you? I feel like we could answer that question better than the average community remember for our respective communities. I know I've been I've been interrupting you, Christian, for for a couple of minutes now, so I, I'd like to give you the floor. Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit about Lightning because uh, most I feel like most people in the Ethereum space are yep. very pessimistic about Lightning, and it seems as though that's not how Radar feels about Lightning. So, can you talk to us a little bit about what is Lightning useful for and how can it be useful for Ethereum? Yeah, great, great question. So um, I think uh, I'll try to take this from a macro philosophical and then answer it micro as well. So um, when we built Relay, we believed, uh, as, as we, I, we had a hypothesis around um, decentralized exchange, the category of decentralized exchange. And we thought that each time there was a, a hack um, on a centralized exchange, you would see this migration of traders and liquidity and volume over to decentralized exchanges. And Ben, he's like, guess what? Newsflat, like, wasn't the case. Um, in fact, it was the opposite. Well, you would see these hacks and you would actually see more usage and it was, it hurt my brain. I couldn't figure it out. Um, and so, you know, two and a half years later, we own a large part of a small market, of this category of decentralized exchange. And, and we were a little bit, we were wrong about the velocity or the the rate of growth of the decentralized exchange category. Now, Lightning, uh, similar, uh, similar early ingredients, right? It's a technology that we feel is incredibly useful. We feel like consumers want this. We feel like merchants want this for velocity of transactions, for getting to these, um, these rates of transaction speed to compete with the visas, visas of the world. If, if you care about privacy, you want this. And we started seeing the early data uh, in 2018, start to move and we started doing a lot of R&D in late 2018. Um, and we, we went out and we built the front page of Lightning and we've gone and we've, we were running all these Lightning nodes and uh, we've built out an entire Redshift product. And what we're seeing um, is a lot of activity in the background. A lot of people are setting up their infrastructure. You see teams like Square investing heavily in this uh, to support Cash App. Um, you, 
uh, you, there are remittance companies and financial services companies that are working quietly in the background, some of which we're under NDA with. Um, there is work happening. Now, in crypto Twitter or um, maybe some of the Telegram groups or something stuff that's more visible, like the different scoreboards that are out there, um, there's not as much activity. I think there's a few reasons for that. Number one, there's not as clear of a capital formation structure built in, right? With Ethereum, you had ICOs and that drove this drove the speculation. Um, all of a sudden, you had billions of dollars invested. Whereas in Lightning, right, there's not inherently this built in capital formation uh, value proposition. So these teams have to go out and raise venture capital. I think there was like 29 or $30 million raised last year, which, which isn't enough to really drive the industry. Um, uh, second, it's still pretty difficult to, to get set up, right? I'm not, um, it, it's, it was easier to set up a decentralized exchange and use a decentralized exchange in 2017 um, than it was for, for most of 2019 around Lightning. Um, anyway, so long, that was more of the philosophical answer. Uh, why, why are we excited about it? Um, is, is we like it not for the properties of making Bitcoin faster to send, but for these interoperability properties, right? This is the super highway that we can move assets across chain. That this is this, uh, this layer two settlement um, that, that, that we've been asking for to solve these scalability problems so we can meet these jobs to be done so we can move on onto this database migration so we can build this better financial system. So for us, it's a part of um, the solution. It's one of the tactics that can work for, for the mission we have at Radar. So how, I guess, how does Lightning kind of compare? And I, I, I like, I, I am assuming that viewers here that are on the Bitcoin side of things understand how Lightning can be useful for Bitcoin. But I'm more interested on how you see Lightning being useful and competitive for Ethereum. I know that at least in the Ethereum ecosystem, there's not a lot going on there. And there's actually a lot of competing like channel uh, networks and state channel yep type situations being built out too. Like, you know, where does lightning compare to, you know, all that activity and why are you guys making a bet on lightning yeah. as the interoperability layer? Yeah. So, so one, one person I will plug. Um, so our director of R and D Brandon Curtis, who maybe uh, some of you have, have met him in telegram or conferences or, or the Twitter circuit. This is his, um, this is his, one of his core, um, let's call it expertise area. He, he's a layer two craftsman, if you will. And he spends a lot of his time educating me, educating our company, educating our customers um, on, on this, uh, thinking about Lightning as an interoperability solution versus just a, a faster uh, payment rail for, around Bitcoin. Um, and so I would, I would love for everyone to go and follow him. And, and, and in fact, I would love to have him on the show with you guys because he can go real deep into these specific around here's how Raiden right this layer two solution on ethereum differs from lightning and here are the value props um, but the, the punchline for us is we went out and we looked at all of the scalability solutions I mean you you name the ethereum layer two seller um, connects scale I mean you name it we've went done a, did a research spike looked at the docs tried running it and, and guess what lightning is, is working lightning is working today right the job to be done moving assets cross chain atomically it, it's working we don't have uh, another quarter of development to get there um, we don't have a, a big leap of faith or we, yes the ui and the ux is a little bit difficult but but it's working and when we see something that is working better that is meeting the jobs to be done better you bet that will be there so we're not allegiant to lightning be, from a dogma perspective or because it's tied to bitcoin um, it's because it works. Uh, and if it works and it solves a customer's problem, in this case, peer-to-peer -peer payments, then we're going to use it. Um, so there's a lot 
of writing on the specific, how does it compare to Ethereum on uh, Ion's wiki, on Brandon's Twitter, uh, and would love to get him on the show to, to go deep with you guys. On All right, well, we can keep it going. So I guess like, let's kind of talk about, you know, what other bets are you kind of seeing and making out there? Like outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum and Lightning, you know, what, where are you seeing other yeah. signal and other ways that you can kind of uh, continue to build onto this new financial world? Totally. Yeah, I think this this good segue to talk a little bit about, about Deploy. So if you've been following the, the Radar brand, you've seen peer-to-peer exchange, you've seen peer-to-peer payments. And, and for most people, we were a B2C, right, business-to-consumer brand, built these financial applications, these destinations, as I mentioned earlier, Frontier. It, it's It's been um, uh, a change of pace for, for some of our users and, and uh, folks in the community to see us build out infrastructure. And, and also, you asked about Signal. And so the Signal for us, uh, was in these conversations from other startups reaching out for help. Here's here's what was happening. These teams were raising money. They were staffing up, building out their idea, um, whether it was a game or maybe it was a DAP or some sort of trading application or um, uh, you, you name it. What they would find is that they couldn't focus on growth, design, marketing, but instead they had to go focus on DevOps and infrastructure and handling nodes And there was this structural mismatch in what the teams wanted to pursue and what they could with the resources on hand. And all of a sudden, they would find themselves spending thousands of dollars on uh, cloud costs every month and trying to find DevOps engineers. And it really, the the signal sort of peaked for us when we talked to an NFT company. I think they had uh, seven people on the team. They were were new to to Ethereum. And they had like three DevOps engineers, or they had two DevOps engineers and like one guy that was focused on it just because they were trying to figure out how to stand up um, Gath and Parity, um, and and that's when I realized, man, if we don't act and if we don't help these teams manage this infrastructure, our industry is going to continue to be stuck. Right? It's going to it might stagnate, right? If these teams aren't able to to grow and focus on the customer and, and hit these escape velocity uh, points, and all of a sudden they're they're all trying to build DevOps um, infrastructure over and over again in every single company, and so that was the signal for us, and that led to us creating Deploy. Uh, and since we we've we've been pretty quiet uh, about about deploy, I think we you know we've tweeted, we've written a few articles, we've reached out to some friends and family to get them on board. Um, but over time and time again, as we talk to someone, they they um, they're a little bit leery, right? They show up to deploy and they're like, "Well, my guys built or my my team built out uh, infrastructure, and and what what are you going to do? Save us time and sign up? They pay per query, um, and all of a sudden we find themselves uh, decreasing cloud costs significantly. All of a sudden they're uh, repurposing engineers to focus on uh, more co- more revenue associated tickets, and so for me, the, the the area that I'm most excited about is the rise of different infrastructure companies. Right, we're we're not the only one. It's a crowded field. There's a lot of different folks who are who are doing infrastructure as a service, who are doing nodes as a service, and I think that's what our industry needs in order to free up like 25 percent engineering time uh, at, at all these different companies. So you you guys mentioned that one of your core products is that you guys are a, a Bitcoin payment mechanism for those that want it. Um, how would you guys compare your product to BTC Pay Server, which is a, a beloved project in the Bitcoin space? Yeah, good question. So uh, first first and foremost, there's um, in when you're when you're building on the frontier and you go out and you build these destinations and or infrastructure, I, I think the, the first rule of thumb is to like not uh, rebuild or be redundant uh, with other services, right? And you, you don't want to go meet one of your compatriots, one of your fellow settlers out there and say, oh, hey, cool, you built that thing. Great, we're going to build the same thing. It's going to be two inches taller over here. And so we, we've always taken 
uh, an approach of um, uh, right, reaching out to teams, asking, hey, what's your roadmap? Let's not duplicate resources. What can we build together? Uh, and so whether it's that, that server or it's other wallets or applications in the space, uh, all of those are um, uh, either potential partners or integration channels for, for, for Redshift. Now with BTC server or BTC pay server in particular, um, I think one of our engineers wrote up a whole wiki article uh, on this on, um, uh, on the ION wiki. Um, I'm not. I'm not actually sure on the specific technical details of, of how we compare and contrast, uh, but I do know that that we're in touch with those guys and um, exploring integrations. The other the other comparison I'd like you guys you guys to make is um, so Uniswap, another decentralized exchange. Yeah. Architecturally, totally different. Can you kind of compare volume numbers across uh, Radar and Uniswap? Yeah, totally. Yeah, let's talk about like volume index mm -hmm. and the category and all the different. Uh, experiments in the space. Totally. Uh, so, so first and foremost, there's, oh boy, um, maybe 10, uh, 10 different um, A-B tests that are running. Um, that's probably a little, there's probably seven different A-B tests that are running in the decentralized exchange category. You have open order books um, like Relay built on a ZeroX um, protocol. You have automated market makers like Bancor and, um, uh, and, uh, you have Kybers and you have you have Uniswap and you have IDEX and you have um, uh, closed matching engines that are also built on ZeroX and we're all jockeying for volume. So uh, in 2017, uh, when when we launched, the the market size around uh, decentralized exchange was really small, right? It was us and this smart contract uh, based exchange um, called Ether Delta that that many of us may remember uh, vividly. Yes. Uh, in 2017, I probably still have uh, then, funds in, in there. <laughs> Don't tell me that. Uh, and then in, uh, in 2018, we had our breakout year. So in 2018, we traded like $220 million. It was an incredible up into the right year, a lot, a lot of speculation around um, these different tokens. Um, and then the volume started to, uh, volume started to go south um, it, towards the end of 2018. For a few reasons, one speculation that the wave, the, the tide started to recede. But two, our user our user interface was very much built for the the prosumer, right? The day trade. It wasn't built for folks to just sort of set it and forget it. Really simple uh, trading experience. And and no surprise, what you've seen in 2000, 2019 is the rise of um, those those types of uh, venues. So what Kyber has done to make it really simple, uh, Uniswap is a, and Hayden, what they did is a tremendous example, make it really simple, dead simple to get started. Um, don't have a, a lot of complex graphs and charts um, and a huge inventory. And so where are we at now? Um, what's interesting is the category of decentralized exchange actually hasn't grown or shrank too much uh, over uh, 17, 18, and 19. Like we're, we're still hovering around like five to $7 million a day in volume. But what has changed is the, the slices of that pie. Um, so uh, like on a given, so let's see, in 2019, uh, we, we traded uh, about 100 million. So if you look at, right, 2018 was 200 million, 2019 was 100 million. So that Right, that we got we got half the pie in 2019, and, and it was split up. That extra 100 million was split up across Uniswap and Bancor and um, a bunch of those other Kyber, a bunch of the ones I mentioned. Moving into this year, uh, the race is on. Uh, we we've learned these lessons from the marketplace. Make it simpler, make it easier. Check, totally get it. Um, and so I think you're going to see us uh, starting to um, and all these different venues starting to learn from each other and start to consolidate around a similar UI UX. And a lot of us are going to be sharing liquidity. On, on the on the back end um, through the zero x 
uh, V3 or through the Kyber bridges or through some of the work Uniswap is doing to pull, pull in other liquidity as well. So can you kind of illustrate why or what types of people would go to Uniswap and what types of people would go to an exchange like, like Radar? Like what, what, who, do, who and yeah. why do you serve? Like what kind of clientele do you serve specifically yeah. that Uniswap doesn't? Yeah, good question. So this is uh, really a jobs to be done question, right? It's if, if I'm a, a, a day trader or I'm a retail trader or I'm an institution or I'm an app or I'm a market maker, right? there's all these different segments. What am I hiring the products to do? Uh, and so I, what, what you see on um, some of these more simple UIs is you see more retail traders, right? People who are, um, they're not creating algorithmic trading bots. They're, they're um, really looking for like, what's the simplest place to get point A to um, and that's really a, a, a driving factor around the, the traders on Uniswap. Not necessarily the volume, but that's a lot of the people that are, who are coming in the front door. Um, now, from a relay perspective, we're a little more complex, right? You, there's more advanced order types on there. We have a little more inventory, a um, little tighter spreads, a little more competitive. Most of our volume and most of our usage is actually from integrations with applications or uh, automated traders. So I, I believe like 95% of the volume uh, of Relay actually comes from these automated traders because of the API documentation we have and uh, the quality of experience we, we've built for that customer set, which means we're, we can then service a little bit more competitive, a little bit better prices. Um, now, if you put um, on one end of the spectrum, like local Ethereum, I guess now it's called local crypto, right? It's actual in-person or trading peer-to-peer -peer, uh, and you put on the other side, a centralized exchange, maybe like a Coinbase or a Kraken or something like that. Think of all of the decentralized exchanges as different um, clicks on that continuum. Um, and, and we really pride ourselves in, in maintaining as far uh, as far towards um, the local crypto or local Ethereum as we can, right? It, we're really very much a bulletin board. Um, we just happen to be really built around this, this uh, automated trading community and integration communities. How familiar are you with like the kind of existing Bitcoin DEX infrastructure and landscape? And what do you think is it going to take to step Bitcoin's kind of like more autonomous DEX game up? Yeah, so I think I think it's useful to, to talk about, um, you know, what, what decentralized exchange is, is good and, and is not good for. And, um, and for both Ethereum and, and uh, Bitcoin and, and many of the other chains that uh, I know are developing decentralized exchanges. And, and I know that because they reach out and they ask for help. And, um, and so I think when we started, um, uh, when we started building out Relay, our thesis around why decentralized exchange was important um, ha has evolved, right? Number one, um, one thing that stayed the same is it's about orders without borders. It's about global liquidity without restrictions on who you are and, and about privacy. Like that certainly remained the case. Um, but, but one thing, um, that, that we, we didn't get right um, was around how these tokens would be used, right? In, in our heads and in our minds, a lot of these different assets were, um, a lot of these tokens were going to be used for applications and you'd have this token abstraction and you would need decentralized exchanges to be the middleman that facilitate um, uh, these, these uh, different DAP usage patterns and these different uh, DAP designs. That has not been the case. And so really they've, they've been, Centralized exchanges have become venues for people who really care about privacy, uh, who really care about supporting this technology, um, and are maybe willing uh, to have a little bit of a more complex user experience to, to have this trade-off around uh, privacy and, and uh, speed of trades. So same same holds uh, with, with the Bitcoin community. Uh, I am familiar with a lot of the different 
uh, exchanges. I think there's a like SparkSwap's a great example. Um, there's Zigzag, um, and there's Loop. There's there's a few others that have emerged in that space, and I think they're going to face a lot of the same challenges that that we did around Ethereum, which is finding uh, more automated traders, getting automated traders in the mix, getting integrations done, making the UI UX really simple. I think there's a lot to learn uh, from Relay and how we did the automated trading, and a lot to learn from Uniswap around how they made it as simple as possible. And I think if we can make a marriage right between those two, right? If you can take play, you can take the rip that playbook and rip that playbook and, and go to market there around Bitcoin, um, you won't have some of those uh, those early fits and starts. But it's not, I mean, let's, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, uh, want to get a point across, which is decentralized exchange isn't going to, it's not going to take over centralized exchange. There's a place for both. Uh, one is going to be a lot smaller than the other. Um, it's going to be a slow uh, growth, growth trajectory. Um, and it's going to be serving the long tail uh, all over the world in ways that centralized exchanges can't or won't. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my expectations around decentralized exchange is definitely realistic. But I think that the two most important things is, is the ability to match make and the ability to use it without having to KYC yourself. Uh, so I think that those are the two things that I wish were a lot easier in Bitcoin. Um, granted, you know, it is easy for Ethereum if you're trading tokens, but as soon as you start needing to deal with fiat, then it's not that easy. I think that's just an overarching challenge. But um, I'm, I'm very curious to, you know, see the future of how to get into Bitcoin uh, in a more cypherpunk way. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, and maybe this is a part of the conversation I'd love actually to get your guys' opinion on is... Um, one of the questions that we've been getting a lot from investors or partners or customers of ours is um, around central bank digital currency um, and Bitcoin, right? And and a lot of a lot of our customers and community have been thinking about um, uh, thinking about Bitcoin as right, this digital gold, this store of value. Um, some people think of it as medium of exchange. Certainly, some people think of it as medium of exchange. But all of a sudden, there's a lot of noise around uh, CBDC, central bank digital currency. So I'm curious, have you guys had anyone on the show to talk about that? And how are each of you respective from the different communities uh, thinking about CBDC? Yeah, uh, we haven't had anyone on the show to talk about it. Uh, anyone who I think is qualified to talk about that in any meaningful way uh, is probably not somebody that we have connections to. I, I would expect them to end up on like somebody like Nick Carter's uh, podcast with on, on the brink or Laura Shin. Um, I, th and I am also kind of bearish on central bank digital currencies, except for the China uh, digital digital currency. I think that will count. Um, but I think for the Western countries and like, basically I think central bank, Digital currencies are for authoritarian countries more than they are for the Western, Western and European countries. Um, I think that those countries are slower, need them less, are less privy to them, uh, and don't are are just it's just a slower ship to ship to uh, get pivoted into into that direction. Uh, and at the same time, something like USDC counts like it's close enough. Like, what more do they want? Like, if the central bank really just wants to leverage the power of digital currencies, well, then they'll just make Circle do their bidding, and then it's the same thing. And so, you know, call it, let's call it what it is, close enough. And, and credit to Christian, actually, who's the first person I ever heard call USDC FedCoin. I mean, it's basically what it is. Yeah, David... 
David took my exact point. Uh, I actually think that capitalism works and you already see USD evolving. We have Tether, we have USDC, we have GUSD, Paxos, you know, pick your flavor. Uh, US dollars represented on the blockchain and mm-hmm. is already integrated into a lot of these applications. So uh, the dollar's liquidity is continuing to spread. What is more Fed coin than yeah, US I dollar? Mean, in a yeah, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it's a perfect <laughs> middle ground. Whether or not the central bank has to hold the final ledger, um, I don't know if that's necessarily necessary. Um, and again, I personally am super bearish on China because I don't believe that uh, top-down decision-making is more optimal. I believe that uh, kind of anarchic, anarchic uh, more sprawling, more competitive decision-making and emergence is optimal. And that's why I'm bullish on Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin is like the pure... Uh, instantiation of that mindset so uh, yeah china can make you know china coin but uh, as long as they're going top down they're probably going to make a lot of mistakes and be super inefficient um but yeah uh, i think it's important and maybe also create the maybe also create the uh, off ramp yeah, as that's well that's true yeah i mean I, I think that all fed coins or uh, central bank coins um they they're just moving the ball closer into the crypt the crypto and digital uh sphere and in that sphere, uh, you know, open source technologies have the, the edge. Yeah, well, well said, guys. The, the reason I asked that question is 100%. I think it's going to be one of the questions on all of our minds this year, next year, is this question of, right, blockchain. Is it blockchain or is it Bitcoin? Is it crypto or is it blockchain? And, and you're, you're going to see strides, um, major strides happen with central banks around the world, whether it's through, you know, projects with Accenture, um, very much MVP stage or, or real uh, developments getting done using DLT technology, right? That's to happen. It's going to be so interesting to see in our space. Does that create a deeper entrenchment around crypto and uh, around, you know, Fed co- like statements like you guys made? Or do we community realize, oh my God, someone is using block, like this is awesome. Let's rally around this and celebrate. So I, I'm personally really excited to see how that shakes out because for the first time, mm-hmm. we're seeing real adoption of this technology. Um, by a community that has a very different value set, right? And yeah, we've had like a little bit of blockchain supply chain and here and there, but like for the first time, there's substantial um, usage or at least substantial exploration. Um, so so I, I really appreciate your comments there. What's your ultimate take, good or yeah. bad? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, you know, I operate around this, um, this really central vision around right our next financial system. And, and I think about it from a job to be done around improving the human experience, right? I think about health outcomes. I think about why the heck are we doing this, right? It's, it's for a better financial system, more access, more agency. And so, so in my perspective, um, I don't see a negative, number one, I see it either galvanizing even more development from uh, folks focused on privacy and, and, and identity and sovereignty. And like, I see it being a great reaction there. Or I see our community celebrating the technology, leading to more focus on uh, meeting the needs of underserved customers and vulnerable populations. So I, I think it's terrific. Um, I think it's a better talking track than, oh my God, no one's using this technology. It's going to zero. It's not useful. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I've been on, I've been in this market long enough to see the pendulum swing between is it blockchain or is it Bitcoin or is it blockchain now? Like, you know, a half dozen, a dozen times. Mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll take the, um, there, there's two perspectives here. Like either the federal banks of the world go with modernity and then they issue Fed coins for their respective digital banks, or they don't 
and they put themselves in a corner, they put on their blinders, they stop paying attention and they say that that blockchain is dumb. And I'll say, and I'll take the Bitcoin perspective here and, and I'll say that the, either way is good for Bitcoin. Um, yes. Either they build the on-ramps onto Bitcoin accidentally or they, they ignore Bitcoin and allow it to grow in, in without interference and like, you know, pick your poison. It's, it's Bitcoin either way and eventually Ethereum. Well said. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well said. We're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is on your mind, guys? These have been great questions. Yeah, so I have actually one more question for you, um, and maybe Christian does too, but th- this is my last question. Zero um, X, I-, I paid a ton of attention to Zero X back in like the first half of 2018, which is now almost two years ago. Um, there's been some drama in the space. There's been governance issues. There's been a, a big, a, been a big fork uh, of the token, removing the token. Can you just kind of give us the sit rep for zero X and like, <laughs> what's, what's the deal? Like, I don't even know what, what's the right question to ask, honestly, but like, <laughs> no, that's good. What the, what the hell is the going situation on? with zero X? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, fun fact of like how we even started working with, um, with zero X way, way back in August of, of 2017, we were thinking about, how do we go to market? Actually, this was this uh, June of 2017. We were thinking about how do we go to market? What do we want to build? There are so many things we want to build. We want to do payments. We want to. We we wanted to. I uh, think we were thinking about uh, wallets. We were thinking about uh, a better MetaMask, Chrome extent. There was like a, a dozen things we wanted to build. And my co-founder, uh, our, our CTO Caleb, um, Caleb was actually the first data science hire at Coinbase. He had been involved in building out the brokerage there, and he had been involved in building out GDAX, now Coinbase Prime. Um, and he actually, Linda, uh, Linda Shea, um, was his boss for a brief period of time, who, of course, um, if, if uh, you're a real um, uh, Ethereum uh, fan, that's uh, Will Warren's wife. And so we oh. got a copy of the Xerox white paper, um, and we realized, oh, my goodness, this is an incredible way for us to get to market around a decentralized exchange. Caleb had been thinking about how to architect one. Turns out it was very similar to how um, ZeroX was architecting. We realized, wow, this could be jet fuel. This could be the platform for us to, um, I guess, what's the leapfrog or for us to, uh, to, to, to uh, hit serious escape velocity on top of. Um, and so we, we spent a lot of August talking to their team. Uh, we we um, got a grant from the Zero X team and we started building. And basically they were our back end and we just had to build the front end. And it was a really tight relationship. We had a few people working out of my basement in Fort Collins. They had a few people working out of uh, one of their apartments in San Francisco. And it, it was it was so much fun. And a lot of that uh, uh, early Zero X was very much a co-development. Um, and then as more and more uh, players started entering the ecosystem, we had a, a great meeting with Zero X around, hey, if, if we're like Facebook, or if you're like Facebook, we don't want to be like Zynga. That was an unhealthy relationship. What can we do now to start you know, creating the commandments around or, or how this ecosystem would, involve, would, would unveil? And Zero X, I think, has done a tremendous job, a really great job setting expectations around how to um, build a community without showing any sort of favoritism. Um, and I think part of that is that governance is part of their DNA, right? It's, it's certainly part of the token architecture, but it's also built into to Will and Amir, um, the, the co-founders there. And so uh, you asked, what's the sit rep? Well, flash forward a few years. Yes, there's been some venues that showed up, realized, hey, we don't want this token for various reasons, forked it, went on a while went on their way. Turns out that wasn't a terrific decision as they didn't have a lot of the network effect and shared liquidity of other uh, DEXs and, and venues using 0x. 
Uh, now, where are we at? Well, we just integrated V3. Well, I guess they launched and we built and integrated uh, V3. Um, that allows us to do um, some liquidity sharing amongst these order uh, amongst these venues. Um, and Xerox is spending a lot of time thinking about governance, thinking about what is this token useful for? Um, and they have a really innovative, um, uh, let's call it hypothesis or experiment around uh, staking of, of the zero X token. And they have a, a really detailed blog post that lays this out much better than I will. Um, but I'll try to, I'll do my best, which is how do we align the incentives of folks who are using, uh, right, using zero X to trade on zero X based venues? How do we help them uh, up, participate in the upside, the financial upside of, of usage? So the sit rep currently is they're a protocol team. They've built a really vibrant community. They're shipping code at a really fast rate. I think their headcount is like 40 or 50 people. Um, we're, we're really happy to have been involved with them at the earliest days um, now. And as we think about our future as a venue, and as we think about sharing liquidity, we have to compete around our brand. Can, can no longer piggyback on top of 0x because the barriers of entry have dropped. We have to compete with our UI, our liquidity, our, uh, our venue, our features. Um, and so I think what Xerox is increasingly moving into um, the background around uh, being this um, this almost like an infrastructure provider, and all the venues are moving to the foreground, trying to own that user relationship. Okay, so uh, opinion on that token: necessary or not necessary, or good or not good? Great question. Um, two separate. Okay, so one is a token necessary to trade? Absolutely. Is, no, no, no. Is the zero like, X token necessary? <laughs> For its purpose. Yeah, so this is the question. Every um, every um, uh, podcast or every person I've met is always asking me, should I buy ZRX? Oh, no, that's not what I'm asking. asking. So the answer, <laughs> I know, right, right. I know. But I've asked, been asked that question like a different a dozen different permutations. Answer the question is yes, um, because we have an opportunity to align incentives okay. in a way that you couldn't without a token. Now, my fr I'm a little, you know, it's taken a while to get there. Yes. Um, a year and a half ago, I if you listen to podcasts or interviews, I was talking about this, where we are today. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's coming around the corner. Here it is. It's getting there. And, and it wasn't. And it took a long time to get to where we're at now. And it feels like we're finally in a spot where incentives aligned. We're rowing in the same direction. Market makers are happy. Automated traders are happy. Um, users are trying to figure it out. And I think there's some work to be done around education. Um, but it's not just for governance anymore, right? There's an actual structural use for it. Um, in the past, when I said yes to that question, I was emphatic about how, yeah, it is. We're, we didn't have this incentive alignment problem as fully solved and baked as we do now. Cool. So that actually, the, the last few words that I listened to Will Warren were something along that nature where um, I think it was on Laura Shin's uh, podcast right after or right before uh, the Xerox protocol was going to get forked to remove the token. He said that uh, the forkers, the forker removers of the token were underestimating the, important, in the importance of the token. Uh, and so it actually sounds like that that's what you're kind of echoing yep. more or less. Yeah. Now, I think the velocity of development to get there, I think could have been could have been faster. And look, um, why, why, why didn't we get? Well, we had a lot to learn and they had a lot of work to do in V2. There was a ton. Maybe we could have been there a few months faster, right? If we were, if we totally knew this was the destination, but frankly, like I'm really happy with where we're at. Um, I think you're you're seeing a lot of excited automated traders start to to zoom in on zero X and, and pay more attention. Um, who maybe maybe zoomed out of the market a year and a year ago and are now are are now starting to email and reach out again. So I'm excited to see what the the, the next few months hold for for the zero X staking pools.
So I'm going to steal this question from one of the great podcasters in the world, Tim Ferriss. He likes to ask a lot of his guests, if you could write a billboard, what would it say? And my question for you is, if you could write a billboard for the Bitcoin community, what would it say? And then if you could write a billboard for the Ethereum community, what would it say? And you can take your time. So I listen to Tim Ferriss podcasts and um, I was actually listening to one today um, and uh, uh, they asked that question. Um, it was the, the Penn Jillette episode actually that I was listening to today. And I was wondering, I was like, huh, what would my answer be? And so it's, it, the reason I sat back is it was a little bit weird that you asked that question. I was just thinking about that today, but I wasn't thinking about it for the Bitcoin and ETH community, which has now taken me uh, by surprise. So my answer to the first one was like, if it was just general, um, I would just put that question on a billboard because it's such a goddamn good question and it elicits the cognitive response that I'd be looking for, which is for people to be thoughtful and be like, wow, I have an opportunity to say something. What would I say? So I would put the question itself. Um, and so I think I'm going to take the, the easy button here um, and just I would take the question and apply to Bitcoin ETH, right? So, so if, <laughs> uh, if you could put something on this billboard for anybody in Bitcoin, what would it be or vice versa? Because um, I think that that is the job of the question is to make us wonder, what is the fiduciary role that I have in this community? Am I doing enough? What are my goals for this community? Am I, am I thinking from a pure technological sense? Am I thinking from a jobs to be done? Why do I care? Why have I identified with this tribe? And I think those are all questions that will come to mind if you're forced to create a question. So was that too much of a cop out or was, or was that acceptable? It was, it was acceptable, but barely. But barely. I liked your analysis, though. Okay. Um, Alan, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Thank David, you. do you have something else to say? Yeah. Go yeah, on. no, I just want to be the one to wrap it up. Uh, so, Alan, we usually ask uh, individuals who, who are on the podcast, what are your, the, your requests of our listeners? But I want to change that with you, you a little bit. Uh, for our listeners who have not interacted with any of your suite of products, either with Radar or with Redshift, um, what if they're a Bitcoiner and they haven't interacted with your suite, what is your request of them? And if they're an Ethereum and they haven't actually interacted with your suite, what is your request of them? Yeah, great, great, great. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity. So um, if you are a Bitcoiner, come on down to ION, ION.radar.tech, and you will find the homepage, front page of the Lightning Network. And there's a ton of different options to choose from. You can explore our app store. You can try out this Redshift payments tool. You can read a bunch of the guides and tutorials. That, that's a great one-stop shop. And that's what, who we built it for, was people who wanted a map, right? It's Bitcoiners who want a map. And then on the Ethereum side, we don't have a map for you, but we do have a destination, and that's Relay. Um, show up on Relay, uh, get set up, learn how to trade. Uh, we have some good tutorials there for you. Um, make a small trade, but it's it's important uh, to, to understand what this technology can do. Peer-to-peer uh, -peer exchange is such a great exemplar of it. So um, there you have it. Alan, where can people find you? Who do you want to hear from? Yeah, so you, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Alan James Curtis. We have Radar Relay and Redshift and Deploy also on, on Twitter as well. Um, I, I always um, I always tell people when I'm doing uh, shows, um, I want to hear from all of you. So um, at alan.curtis at radar.tech, uh, I love uh, getting uh, troll emails from folks who tell me I did something wrong on the podcast or didn't know enough about BTC Pay Server. Um, I love hearing feature suggestions. Um, I love getting resumes from folks who, who feel similarly about the mission and the vision that we have. Um, uh, I don't like uh, I don't like getting emails uh, that that are unhelpful, <laughs> but generally uh, generally they're, they're all been terrific. So so reach out and and guys, thank you so much for uh, for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun and uh, it was great to live stream it. I think it's the first one I've I've live streamed. 
Perfect. Awesome, Alan. Thanks for coming on POV Crypto. You can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at uh, Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Christian? Yeah, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Uh, I think everyone here might be going to Bitcoin 2020. So hopefully you can meet everyone here in person at Bitcoin 2020. Bitcoin 2019 was amazing. And uh, Bitcoin 2020, you can hear about how Tony Hawk became a Bitcoiner. So should be an absolutely fantastic <laughs> event. Bitcoin Twitter in real life. So be there or be square. Peace. Oh, I'm since. I, oh, so I'm going to hop in with my own conference show. Uh, Realty uh, It's going to be at Ethereal in 2020 for uh, their May conference at New York Blockchain Week. So if you want to hang out with with me, if you want to hang out with the rest of the Realty team, which none of you have heard of because I'm the only front-facing person on the whole company, you guys can meet us. Uh, we're going to have a booth. It's going to be great. We're sponsoring the event. I'm going to be speaking there at Ethereal in May. Uh, so it's going to be going to be a fun time. Let's go. Always be chilling. Well, all right, peace, y'all. Always be chilling. <laughs> peace. Thanks, guys. Peace out.